When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. If you feel that there's more to life than iPhones, iPads, and mindless consumerism, if you're searching for the keys to unlock your true potential, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any form of collectivism just not just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you don't think you're crazy for not agreeing with the herd mentality, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together. As we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we're going to be spending some time with Mr. Robert Clancy talking about his new book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul. And the reason why we're bringing this book to your attention tonight and Mr. Clancy to your attention is because there are a lot of great pieces of advice that you can utilize to improve your own life, to be happy, and again, explore your own soul and find out more about who you are. The main purpose of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show it is about self-reflection and self-exploration, and there are plenty of great pieces of advice that Robert provides for you to do that. So... Without further ado, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents an interview with Mr. Robert Clancy. Joining us now is Mr. Robert Clancy. He is an entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, ordained minister, and author of the new book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul. Mr. Clancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's uh, it's a it's a true honor to uh, to be here with you. Excellent. So, can you please explain and tell our readers? I'm sorry, tell our listeners what your book is about. It says that you really have a lot of experience helping people, and the way you talk about it in the book, you're saying that helping people has a substantial impact on your happiness and how far you succeed in life. Can you please elaborate on some of the lessons that you've, you've professed in your book? Sure. Um, it started out, um, somebody had heard a lot of my stories and said, you know, you should really put these into a book because they seemed to think that I had experiences that they, they hadn't had and that I needed to share. So I, I started really analyzing those things and um, started putting them into a collection of, of different life events. And 
from what I found, uh, many people have actually had these experiences and they just haven't thought as deeply as I have. So, for instance, um, at age six, I had an experience in Jamaica um, on a vacation where I met this man and he taught me what compassion was. And um, he was his name was Alex the Pool Man and he was the guy that serviced the pool in the resort we were staying at. And it was one of those kindred spirits, you know, those people that you meet and I almost knew him. It was like we had reconnected. And I knew that at age six and went to his village and I saw all the kids there and they, they had clothes and they were ripped and torn. And it, it just had a, a, a major effect on me because I had never seen that kind of poverty in my life. And what I found out when I left there is that I had given all of my clothes to the kids in that village. I only flew home with the clothes on my back. I asked my parents to give them the, my clothes. And, you know, oh, those we, types of things that happen, yeah. So when you are six years old, for some reason, instinctual reason, you know that you have a connection to this individual. And did you ever explore that later in your life to find out on a deeper level if you had had a previous life incarnation with that individual or if there was a particular reason why you had a connection with that individual? No, I, I haven't really looked into it and I haven't even seen him since that day. I mean, we left and it was almost like, you know, we found each other and then we have to part again and we're in two different parts oh. of the world. And, you know, I'd love to, to reconnect with that guy um, just because he had that effect on me. He gave me shells during that trip and I still have those shells. I've had those shells since I was six years old and I, I just turned 50. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a long time to be holding on to some shells. But Yes. So what about some of these other unique experiences that you <laughs> yeah. describe? It just what about some of connected. these other experiences? Yeah. Um, the other ones are from volunteerism. You know, I had volunteered for many years, as most people do, and you really don't think about the effect that it has and what you're doing. I had done it because it was fun. You know, I still do because of that but you're not thinking about the impact that you have. So I was volunteering for the MDA telethon for many years here in, in my region. And one day I, you know, I got into this elevator and this man is in a wheelchair. And before I could say anything, he had his hand extended and shook my hand and said, your name is Bob, isn't it? And I looked at him and I said, do I know you? And he said, no, but I know you you volunteered for the MDA telephone for the last four years. And I had to think about it, and I had. And he said, you know, there's a friend of mine who was 24, and he just passed away with muscular dystrophy. And at the time, I was about 26 or 27, and I thought, what have I done with the three years this person didn't have? And this was written on my face, and this guy saw it. And he said, no, 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 I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. He would have died when he was 14. He, he lived because of people volunteering and helping out. And he knew every name of every person who volunteered, including you. And at that point, I almost broke down. And it was one of those experiences, you know, because I'm thinking, I'm just going there because they give you cookies, you're on TV, <laughs> you know, you're helping out, and you get a piece of pizza. And I did it because it was fun. And then... That happens. And he stopped his wheelchair in the hallway and said, you know, without people like you around, there wouldn't be people like me around. And that had an effect on me. I mean, I didn't tell anyone about this for about six months. I walked home 
you know, back to my office, actually. I was heading back because I was in downtown Albany at the time. And that night I went home, and I had a big smile on my face. And I thought, you know, you did have an impact, and you do make a difference, and anyone can do this. And th- that's one of those stories that's in the book and helps people understand that they start thinking, you know, just by being me, I've helped someone. And there's always somebody who's thinking about you. I look okay. at it, you know. Well, let me ask you this. I'm sure there are a lot of people that want to volunteer, that want to help others. But where do you draw the line between helping someone for the sake of doing it from the goodness of your heart and helping someone because you want to satisfy some ego trip in your mind to reassure yourself that you're doing something or it's kind of like going through the motions of saying, listen, I, I volunteered five minutes of my time. I'm doing this to make myself feel good. What is the comparable difference between two types of volunteerism and also – what do you see are some of the immediate impact of a person from their experience when they begin to help others and begin to become more inclusive in their development? That is an outstanding question. And I've actually thought pretty deeply about that. You know, is it, am I doing volunteer work for myself or is it because I'm truly just being altruistic and helping others? And, you know, it comes down to this. I look at it almost like it's a language. And if you've ever taken a foreign language and you're learning it, you're translating constantly in your head. What's the word for this? And I'm going to translate that and I'm going to think about it. And then suddenly you're just fluent in the language. And that's when it becomes part of you. And it's a different level of volunteerism because it's not that I think, you know, when you're drawing the line between those two and you're thinking about, you know, am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for someone else? And then it just becomes part of you, and it doesn't become a thought anymore. That's when you've transitioned to the other side of it. And I look at volunteerism a few different ways. One is volunteerism is not just giving of your time. It's giving of your soul, and you can do this simply by sharing a smile. You know, Think about the power that you have on your face, and you can share that smile with yourself too. It's not just with others. And that's the simplest form and the easiest way to start volunteerism today It's just to share that smile out in public with someone else because they could be committing suicide thinking about it later that day and because you share that smile with them they might change their mind i mean that's okay. that's where we go <laughs> so they might change their mind so you could have a p- potential positive life-changing life-altering impact on this on a person at hand now people say okay well how do I contribute more? How do I become a greater contributor to humanity? Maybe I'm working 60 hours a week. Maybe I've got five or seven kids and all these things are going on. Maybe I don't have the time to go to a soup kitchen. What are some of the ways that an individual can contribute or volunteer their time and offer their best selves to humanity when they cannot be physically present at some of these locations? Well, that's a great question because it really does come down. I mean, we're all busy, and you know, I'm one of those people. I, you know, I have many things going on. There's a lot going on in my life, just like everyone else's. But when you thread it into your life, and it becomes part of it. So, for instance, my son is into the Boy Scouts, and he started when he was a Tiger Cub, very young. So I started volunteering to help out with the troop because that just gets me more time with my son instead of using volunteerism to take away from your family. It's including it in there. 
So when you can thread it into your life in various ways, and there's simple things you can do to volunteer. Um, it's not just donating money or, or your time at, at different functions. Those are great options if you have the time. But if you don't, you can do simple things each day just to make somebody's life a little easier. And sometimes it's just sharing positive words with them and volunteering on the soul level. And that's how I look at it. So those are great um, ideas. And, and that was an excellent question on that because I thought about it and how, how does a busy person do this? And, and those are some of the ways that I found that work. Dude, and also, there is a, I was always wondering if there was a fine line between volunteering and offering to help someone and directly infringing upon them without even realizing you're infringing upon them, thinking that you want to help them. Where do you draw the line and where should a person draw the line between helping and being careful not to infringe upon them? fringe upon another, despite the fact that you may have the purest of intentions. Yeah, you need to trust your gut. And I and I look at it that way. It's it's similar because I'm, I'm also a martial artist. So you get those cues that, you know, this person may not, you may have overextended yourself in, in infringing upon them or making them feel uncomfortable if you're, if you're doing, um, overdoing it or something on that level. But you still have to try. You still have to put it out there. And I found that 99% of the time, people are accepting of of those things and it just if you bring it into your life and you continue to do it it will make that change and really it transfers on to them because I've actually met with some people that you know had contacted me I had coffee with them and the next thing I know I see you know we're connected on Facebook and then they're volunteering and they're doing things and they said you know you inspired me to to try to do this and I thought I was too busy too but I found the time and I just made this my my every once a week I'll do this, you know, and you just set a goal. It's it's easy to uh once you start setting those incremental goals instead of trying to do it all at once. Right. I want to remind everyone that Robert is author of this great book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul. Check it out. Buy it on Amazon. It's it was fantastic. And Robert, in your book you have a couple seems like you have a couple goals. You really want to offer people an opportunity to transform the way they think, transform the way they think about community service, transform the way they think about relating to one another. What would you say would be the three main lessons from your book? What would be the three lessons that you would like people to grasp from your book? Well, number one is is the soul hitch. And I've coined that phrase as you're going along and you've had these days where you have, you know, I'm going to be doing X things today. And then somebody kind of crosses your path and they take you to where you need to be. And that can happen by chance. You know, I, I was in this throughway stop and I didn't hold the door for this woman who's coming at me with, and she had arm canes on and I was in a big hurry because I wanted to get to where I was going. And then I doubled back and opened the door. And at that moment we had this little connection and she just, said, that's a great shirt. Instead of thanking me for holding the door, she complimented me. And it was just a change, and it's one of those little soul hitch things that happen. And when I sat down, I thought, why am I running through life with my eyes closed? It's like going through a museum with your eyes closed. You know? You're missing all the little things. And the second one is to pay attention to those little things. There are little tiny moments that if you pick up on them, and that's what's in the book, and it's one of the things I hope people do, is just to pay attention to the little moments and have gratitude for each of those. 
you know, it could be just seeing somebody. Sometimes I see just an elderly couple and the way that they're holding hands or something, and, and just stop for a moment and take in that that love that's there. And the other is to have vision through volunteerism, and vision and clear your life so that you know the path and being and, and being um, kind and sharing compassion is really can translate into having more happiness in your life. And so that's the, those are the three key points: is trying to bring those things in. And you just specifically talk about saying that if you hit your ride in someone else's soul, you could be potentially changed forever. And I wanted to know if you've ever thought about soul hitching in this particular way. Has it ever crossed your mind that when you meet someone and you kind of become a part of their orbit and your energy aligns with theirs, do meeting these various individuals, these key individuals, offer you a brief glimpse into their energy field? And do you feel in some way, shape, or form that by meeting these key individuals and by glancing from how they how they felt life and feeling their energy, that it can in some way, shape, or form impact the trajectory from all your decisions going forward? Absolutely. And, and you nailed it. I mean, you just described exactly what the soul hitch is. It's taking that person's energy and bringing that into your life and I feel like um, everyone that we meet, you know, you have one of those those meetings where it's like, wow, I just felt, you know, I just feel really good about talking to that person. And taking that out and bringing that into you because that's where your happiness can stem from. It's really sharing. That's why we're here. It's to connect. It's to share. And I feel that we're here to learn one thing. It's love. And those connections come down to that. And I know it's four simple letters. It's something so hard to describe. I mean, there's only there are no synonyms for love. It's just that word. There's stuff that comes close, but nothing that nails that. And those soul hitches that we bring in are part of that. And I actually have an acronym for love. It's leadership, opportunity, volunteerism, and enthusiasm. And that's what you need to bring into your life, and that then translates into the happiness. Do you feel that there is a... I don't know, an unwanted side effect from soul hitches in one way, whereas somebody experiences another's energy. They want more of it. They realize that they do not have the self-sustaining means of having an energy field like an individual that they are particularly focused on, and hence they become codependent. Where do you draw the, let's say, the boundary from when you should, how long you should stay hitched to a soul? How long do you stay within that person's energy? Without again, without infringing upon them, or without yeah, becoming I, a drain. You know, that's a great question, and and I have thought um, on that, but it, it's it's hard to um, to really pin that down. It, it there are people that can become energy drains, and sometimes you need to say, you know, I need to let this person go, and you need to not let them go in anger, but let them go in love, and say, you know, we need to we need to separate, and that's okay. And people need to realize that's okay. There are sometimes uh, cancerous relationships that can happen. The soul hitches I'm talking about, they do stay with you. It's not just you're, you're drawing from their energy, but it's an experience that you've had with this person that alters you and your path. And I, I feel like we all have like this highway and there are exits. You know, you can take exits off of your highway pretty easily by getting into drugs or um, alcohol or whatever it is that's going to escape from from whatever it is that that's there, that the pain that's there, or your grief. But bringing yourself 
yourself back to that road is, is, is these little soul hitches because these people are like guideposts and they, they kind of direct you back sometimes. When it comes to soul hitches, you know, talking about connecting with a person's energy, but if you take a drug that is based in nature and could have its own consciousness, is that in essence a soul hitch? Is that as similar as or a different various soul hits if it allows you to have a different perception or if you use it in the short term to enhance your life? Some people have had life-changing experiences, taking drugs, talking to people, you know, even taking certain serene walks. Yeah, that, I think if you're doing certain drugs or even alcohol or anything, that you're doing it to escape, there's a difference. If you're trying to escape from yourself or from your life or from those things that may have you know definitely um, negative impacts on, on where you're going because you're not facing the issues that are at hand so if you're trying to escape from those things I, I don't know about recreational use as far as how that's going to change that but um, you know I, I know going down that road and I've seen many people um, in, in my life or friends or other people or family members that have, that have battled that and you know, it's very difficult if you're if you're doing that and, and dependent upon that to just get through your day. Okay. Robert, let's talk about your profound spiritual experience. I'd like you to tell the listeners what happened to you at age nineteen, where your life was, what the experience was, and how did this experience change your life? Well, that's um, a pretty deep question because it, it's something that happened to me. Um, at age 19, I had lost several friends to suicide. Um, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. I had um, just had done all the wrong things and heading off, you know, it was like a downward spiral and it just um, let my life go. And I, and I got to what I consider the lowest point in my life. That was rock bottom. And... Luckily, somebody that I work with at the restaurant I was in pointed out, and she said, you know, you're not looking good, and you're, I know what you're doing to yourself, and you need to stop. And I kind of shrugged it off, and she had those, you know, the, the thousand-foot stare on me, looked through my soul, and that's when I broke down. I, I started crying, and I said, you know, you're right. And she said, here's a booklet on how to meditate, and I want you to go home and do this and stay out of the bars tonight and just go home. And I did. And I meditated. And I was about three hours in. And I thought I saw a light. And with my mind's eye, whatever the book described as your mind's eye, and I opened my eyes and the light was shining on the wall. And I was like, okay, there's my spiritual experience. I, I'm seeing this light and it's just shining on the wall. And I thought something was happening. But as I investigated it, I couldn't break the beam. And that's when I realized the light was actually coming from the wall. And I sat down on my bed, and I'm the most analytical person you'll meet. I'm a programmer. I take everything scientifically, and I look at it that way. And this light unfolded almost like a butterfly does into an angel. And I saw it with my own eyes. And I know what I saw because it came through what I looked like kind of a portal or something. And it was in a ghost-like form. And... She floated forward and touched me in my forehead with her index finger. And all I can tell you is it was like being plugged into um, all the love in the universe. I didn't tell anyone for 30 years. I never even told my parents. I told a handful of people. 
Um, most of them have crossed over to the other side. Um, they were near death or they were battling cancer. It was a young friend so, of mine. This is wild. Yeah, that was 27. And I know it sounds crazy. I had to start a conversation and say, okay, uh, I was touched in the forehead by an angel. <laughs> you know? And I've had to live with that. And I, at that time, after this experience, I actually went to the mirror and looked at myself. And I said, you're going to have to live with knowing now. And you're going to have to carry that burden with you. And I know I wasn't hallucinating, and I know what happened because they were physical. My whole body got warm at the time when she actually touched so, me. And now, did experience like this? What? What? Right. Three, two, one. Why do you feel this angel appeared? And have you seen any other celestial beings since the time? Not. Um, I. I know why she appeared um, because she communicated to me and it wasn't through words it was through pictures and thoughts um that that i was not on my path and i was supposed to work with youth and inspire them and my life was going to unfold with these different um things later on you know with not only writing the books but then the words that i post on my facebook page i wake up with these words every morning and i just share them with the world and there's over a quarter of a million people following these posts and they're just positive, inspirational things, but I, I write them each morning when I wake up, and they're they're already written. And I think she was there to a heal me, but show me what I was supposed to be doing. Kind of, you know, you have your career and you have your calling, and it was both of those things were connected. And she showed me, you know, who I was going to marry and how my life was going to go. And that's where you know I just kind of tucked that away. I never even told my so that's anyone. pretty cool. So you, you got a you got a heads up. But you got some inside information, insider stock trading about yeah, your wife's going to be. Much. So I imagine you you walk up to her and you're asking her out, and she's probably saying no. My hey, hey, pretty no, much. I, you don't know what I know. You don't know what I know. Yeah, you, you got to think I'm sexy. Some way, shape, or the angel told. It was kind of like that. Yeah, you got the um, you know, playbook for the future. It wasn't wasn't mapped out perfectly and it took me about a year to convince her, but yeah. But you know the strange thing is when I first our eyes met, I knew instantly that's who I'm going to marry and I actually heard the that almost like a voice in my head said, "This is who you're going to marry." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, you know, I got her phone number after that. <laughs> I still have the phone number in my wallet, the, the paper from uh, – we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. So. That's great. Now, <laughs> I know, we're, I know we're, we're, we're on a positive trajectory, but I've got to take you to a place. It's not going to be quite positive. And the place I'm going to take you is with this question and ask, do you ever feel some form of guilt – or sorrow, knowing that there are individuals who have committed suicide or families of individuals who have committed suicide that didn't have the angel appear to them, that didn't have that celestial or divine light appear to them that could have pushed their lives in a different direction that apparently if you look at it from a you know a strictly perspective, maybe we're let go. Does, it ever, does that thought ever come to your mind? And do you ever wonder and hope that people who are very close to that edge or the edge of the cliff, that some person or some force is going to somehow, shape, or form appear at the right moment to give them an opportunity 
to fulfill their true potential for which they came into this life to live. Yeah. And, you know, I have thought about that. I've actually um, volunteered with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. My best friend's sister um, two years ago committed suicide, and I had another friend uh, lost to that. And I'll tell you, after my experience, I literally wanted to tell the entire world. I wanted to scream it at the top of my lungs and just go out and say, it's real, you know, and wake up. It's it's going to – and what happened – is I talked to myself and I said, you know, you tell people this, they're going to put you in a straitjacket and put you in, <laughs> so you, you can't go out and do this, and, and it's just not the right time. But I did coach people or guide them along the way. I would just say, you know, you might want to say a prayer tonight or you might want to do this. And with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, I learned one profound thing. You can think of a million ways why you shouldn't be here. It only takes one why you should only one thought why you should be here and you need to find that and whatever that is in your life and I know there are people that are struggling and depression is a real thing and it's 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 something that can you know it's connected to to suicide but it's not necessarily the reason for suicide what do you um, find are some of the reasons like underlying spiritual metaphysical reasons why people want to get out of here do you think that in some way shape or form that they were ill-prepared or not quite ready for the frequency of this planet, that they weren't quite ready to experience the extremes of you know, comparable difference between good and evil. It's hard, it's hard to say. I think it comes down to one word, and I look at these three words as the given words. You know, It's love, it's faith, and it's hope. And hope is, is the one thing when you lose that, you lose everything. And I found that you know hope will never leave your side unless you choose to let go of it. You just got to hang on, and that's what it takes. I I don't know beyond that. I, you know there are so many reasons why people um, choose to what I call check out without your bags. You know they're just going to take control of everything, and and sometimes it's the only thing they feel they can control because there's nothing else left. But there is, and it's hope. You can control that, and you can control that thought. So it's really coming down to that struggle and, and, and wanting to let go. Um, but if you don't let go of the hope, it's there. And hope, you know, is always in front of you. You just got to turn around to see it sometimes, and it's there. Right. Why do you recommend that people meditate? Because we've talked about this thoroughly on the program before, about the virtues of meditation, about how people can meditate to certain music. What is a simplistic way to meditate, and why do you recommend everyone meditate? Well, the most simplistic way is to, I, you know, just sit comfortably. I like to have a dark room, and I like to have inspirational music on. I often listen to, like, guitar or something like, um, like that, just very soothing, relaxing. And I just focus on a single point of light, and I have it come down through my head. And then each, as it travels through very slowly, I just imagine this going down. It's like a thermometer that's lowering, you know, the, the light's coming through you. I relax each muscle in, in that group as it goes down, and then I just visualize the light coming through my feet into the earth. And just try to keep focusing on that single point and clear your mind. And the benefits of it, for me, have been just, you're just incredibly relaxed. You can let go and really focus on things. And if you can take just even a few minutes, and sometimes it might be, you know, we're all busy. Get home, you got a long day. Um, 
just lay in your bed and just clear your mind for a minute and just think of things that you have gratitude for, anything. And, and always center yourself with that before you go to sleep so that you have positive thoughts as you're going to sleep and you'll wake up more refreshed. And I'll often do like quick meditations like that if I don't have time to do the full, you know, where you're sitting in a chair or something. But I'm not an expert on meditation, but apparently I got the grand slam when I did it for the first time. But That's uh, really great. <laughs> yeah, most people meditate and you got the angel appearance. Yeah. I think I needed it. Have you felt that angel, that angel have a distinctive name, and have you felt that that angel's presence around you, though not visually seeing it? Absolutely, I I feel that around me all the time. And the the interesting thing is, when she was there, we were face to face, and I would close my eyes, and I could see her with my eyes open or closed. But when I saw her with that, when my eyes were closed, it was um, it looked like an X-ray, or when you blow a candle out in a dark room, that's moving. And I don't know if she was teaching me that that's how you can see the other side or whatever's around us, um, but I have seen or felt presence like that, but nothing like that day. That was that was crystal sharp. Um, I just feel that love or that presence around, and, and I think we all have it. And the name that I was given was Gabriel. Um, that's what she left me with, and I... Um, you know, looked into her eyes. It was, I wish I could paint her face for everyone to see. It's, um, I found a statue that's pretty close, but nothing really as beautiful as that piece. That must have been been a profound, amazing experience. And I want to bring to our audience's attention that in addition to Robert being author of the book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul, in addition to him being inspirational, teacher, business, he's doing a lot. You're manifesting a lot. And my understanding is that you've learned or become a master of three different forms of martial arts. I was wondering if you could please elaborate on how the study of a martial art can actually improve your capability of being more effective, being a better person or stronger person, and what that has done for your body. Do you feel that in some way, shape, or form, that by becoming a, a master of these uh, martial arts, that it's allowed you to think quicker, has it allowed you to um, raise your intuition? Absolutely, and I, I love martial arts for that reason, because it gives you confidence to tackle anything in your life. It centers you, and the more that you train, the less likely you are to use it, because you know you can diffuse a situation and you can walk away. Where a lot of times we'll get into a fight or something will start because egos come into play. And the higher you go in martial arts, the less ego you have. If you do it right, you follow the plan. And the control of your body gives you so much satisfaction that, you know, I'm I not coordinated when I started. I was like all <laughs> left feet and had to learn everything. And when I started getting it and... um that's when everything started clicking. And believe it or not, there's a silver lining in vertigo. I had gotten vertigo after yeah, I just got my black belt, my first black belt, and then I got this horrible vertigo. And Can you please explain elaborate. What's, what's vertigo? Yeah, it, it's, it's well, that's what I was going to talk about. It's a loss of balance. And what happens, <laughs> I can just describe the, the, the effect of it. It's from a virus um, that you'll get from like an ear infection or something. There's no known reason for it or cause. They're not really sure. 
But what happens is your equilibrium is gone. You can, you're just spinning. It's like being on a tilt-a-whirl for four days solid. You open your eyes up and you literally toss your cookies. And I was throwing up nothing because there was nothing left in my body for four days. Even sound made me sick, nauseous. And you just laid there with just a cool rag, you know, cloth on your head, and you're just like, just leave me here to die. I'm stunned. And I had to go to the doctor. They gave me, um, I think, Valium to stop the spins, and then it finally went away. But when I was done, my balance was gone. I had to retrain myself. And believe it or not, with the martial arts, because I learned that, I'm actually better balanced now than I was prior to. I, I like had a reset, you know, of of all that. And so there's always a silver lining in something as even as horrible as vertigo. It's it's something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. It's it's that bad. It's the worst thing I've ever had in my life. Oh, so, horrible. But you horrible. master these. I mean, I, I'm gonna just try, I'm gonna try to taekwondo. Chan, I do. What? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, I'm a master in taekwondo as well as. Uh, Chantu Kwan Hapkido, which is um, combat Hapkido, and it's strictly a self-defense system, and I have a fifth-degree black belt in, in that system. Can you please explain to our listeners what are some of the stronger, some of the four or five things a person can learn from taking those? You mentioned balance. Absolutely. And I know we're going a little away from your book, but I, I do want to come back to this eventually sure. at one point, maybe for another show, but I'd love to hear that. Yeah, the, uh, the the things that you get are, are um, integrity, in, indomitable spirit. It's um, just being able to take on any challenge, you know, and know you you still have that last little bit and that reserve, and you pull it out and you can do it. And that confidence to take things on. It's um, the other benefits are health uh, because there's actually a guy. Uh, he started Taekwondo about six months ago, and he lost 80 pounds. I mean, sounds incredible. So, do you think Taekwondo could be the solution to the American obesity epidemic? Eighty pounds in a very short period of time. Yeah, is great. It, it can definitely help. But you know, it gave him not only the goal to train because what's nice about martial arts, you get belts, and so you start out as a white belt, and all of a sudden now you're a yellow belt. You know, like wow, I learned something, and. I'm moving up, and now I want to earn that orange belt, and then the green belt, and I want to keep going. I want to get that black belt, and it can take three years, you know, or more of training to to get to that level, and it takes dedication, going like two or three times a week. And I don't know. I I'd gone to the gym before this, and you go through the stuff, and then you're on the treadmill or something. I'm like this is boring. I can't handle this. It's like 20 minutes of eternity, and I'm like, I just want to get off this thing. I went to you know an hour and a half class of Taekwondo and did a thousand times what I would do on that treadmill and just go, wow, I love this. And it's like the interaction, the community, and that's the other aspect is working with other people and seeing them progress and helping them. And everybody works as a team. And that's, I guess, one of the great things about it. So, you know, I don't know if it's to to save all and all, but it can be right for certain people that have that drive. And then you have a skill that you can walk down the street and not be afraid. You know, you can handle yourself or at least – have a chance of handling something. And I want to let everyone know that we're going to continue to discuss this. We're going to talk in future shows about why it's so important to maintain a healthy composure and and how that ties directly with working with your mind and your soul. And I really appreciate you elaborating on that. Sure. Um, I'd like to know if we can just talk one more aspect of uh, your life and career. You have a new book coming out 
called Soul Ciphers, Decoding a Life of Hope and Happiness. Can you please uh, tell us what a preview of that book is? Sure. Um, it's similar to the first book, but what I found in my first book, um, I have these inspirational stories. I have an opener and an inspirational quote, and it kind of sets you for what you're going to take away. But some people still didn't make that leap at the end. So Soul Ciphers draws on my programming side because I feel like our mind can be reprogrammed for happiness or for whatever we need in our life. And there's like little little takeaways or decodes that add at the end of the chapter. So I may have an inspirational story of somebody traveling through a journey or myself of attaining happiness, for instance. And at the end, I'll have a decode, three decodes. And one of them uh, is, do you smile when you're alone? And how many people haven't thought about that? You know, do you only share a smile when you're out in public or with other people? Because if you smile when you're alone, it can still change the chemistry in your mind and bring you to that place you need to go. And I often find that we all get frustrated driving. You can't tell me you don't, because I do, and I still do. You get frustrated with other people, they cut you off, they do something crazy, and you're like, oh, my God. I just take a moment and smile for a second, and it goes away. You can just, instead of engaging in it and getting into road rage or whatever's going to happen there, um, just because they made a mistake at that moment, I think, you know, maybe they're a bad driver, but maybe they just made that one-time mistake there, and we've all done it. You know, we've all made that thing where you're like, oh, my God, I almost sideswiped that car. I didn't even see him. Uh, um, so those are the things. And smile. Just take a moment and smile and let it go. So those are the decodes and, and programming. And I have, you know, a story called Reverse Climbs, and it's really uh, – a lot of people don't know what that is, and I, I learned about it when I went into the Grand Canyon. A reverse climb is when you go down into something like a canyon. The climb actually starts when you turn around. The easy part is going down. The hard part starts when you make the turn. And so it's a metaphor for life. And I learned on a journey into the Grand Canyon that I wasn't, didn't have enough water or food. And I could have lost my life on that trail. And there's no way that somebody's going to carry you out because you're down eight hours into this canyon. And you go to turn eight around. Eight hours to get down there? Yeah, it could, yeah. Yeah, it's a long, it's like just a long, rocky staircase. But when you turn around to climb back out, that's when the climb starts. So let's say you hike down for four or five hours and then you turn around. You have 10 hours on the turn. It's twice as long. <laughs> but you can get there if you keep going. And I think about the people that lose, you know, that have lost their life on the trail and, and just didn't stop and say, hey, I didn't bring enough water, I was stupid or the person that passed somebody that didn't look so healthy and say, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Those are the kindred spirits that we need on the trail. And it's what happens in life. You know, you see somebody who's suffering sometimes in your office place. And as a martial artist, I know the body is designed to move away from pain. And when you see somebody else in pain, often we retract. But in martial arts, you're supposed to go into that pain and head you know, as you're applying pain to somebody, you move into it to take them down or to, to neutralize whatever the problem is. The same thing can happen in our soul if somebody's in pain. We need to go in and embrace the person and help them. And that's what happens in life. So the book kind of um, goes on to those things. And I'm hoping uh, it should be next year, should be publishing in 2016 at some point. So I will definitely keep you uh, aware of when that happens. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate it, and 
to Robert Clancy. I want to thank you so much for your time, for being with us today. I want to give two different websites that we can find you on. First off, let's, let's go to your company site, which is spiraldesign.com. Yes. Fantastic site. A lot of great things in there. You can also go to your website at guidetothesoul.com. Yes. Again, Robert's book is called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul. Highly, highly recommend it. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and share your wisdom, Robert. It's a real pleasure having you. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. And you really uh, you, you gave me questions that really made me think, so I, I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Tooth Radio Show. Special thanks to our great guest, Mr. Robert Clancy. And though they weren't on the program tonight, special thanks to our virtues, Miss Constance Tellis, Miss Lisa Caza, Miss Carrie O'Connor, and Miss Laura Lynn. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Intertooth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. So the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great evening. Good evening. My name is Ryan, host of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Every year, millions of lives are ruined by other people who buy the worst Christmas presents you can possibly imagine. Husbands buy their wives gift-wrapped vacuum cleaners and dustbusters. No! Wives buy their husbands gift certificates to William Sonoma. No! Parents buy their children math books. No! Families buy their dogs a framed picture of the family cat. <coughs> this year, get the gift that says I love you five hundred trillion times and that gift is Miss Lisa Kaza's book Finding Paradise After the Storm Miss Lisa Kaza as you know is a virtue on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show and her book Finding Paradise After the Storm is taking the world by storm with raving reviews it is a beautiful memoir it is the gift that says I love you again 500 trillion times highly highly recommend you buy it you can get it on Amazon.com. You can also go to our website at lisacaza.com. So this year, don't be a statistic. Get somebody that you love. The greatest gift of all. Lisa Caza's book, Finding Paradise After the Storm. Thank you. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. 